This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. We're going to talk news. We're going to review the mid-season finale of Prodigy. But first, I'm so excited to say that joining us today are two Trek movie editors and co-hosts of the Shuttle Pod, Kayla Iacovino. Hey, everybody. And Matt Wright. Hi, guys. It's another crossover episode. Crossover. (laughs) Shuttle Pod meets All Access Pod. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So we have so much news to get through that it's a little crazy. It's been a big week. And the biggest thing was the unveiling of a poster, a clip that none of us could see, and some information about strange new worlds. So um, there was an event called the TCA, which doesn't matter what that stands for. But uh, (laughs) the various networks uh, talk to television critics, and they basically talk about what they've got coming up. Um, and this week was Paramount Plus's time, and one of the shows they profiled was Strange New Worlds. And there was a Strange New Worlds panel. Um, and as part of this, they rolled out the first teaser poster. And uh, it's kind of un- it's unusual. I-, I like it. What do you guys think? Is I it- like it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. It doesn't tell you a lot, but it has a lot of familiar elements. And, uh, you know, it's aesthetically pleasing. Nice, modern. And it's not like a big war scene or something, you know, it's like a dude on horseback in presumably New Mexico type place. I feel like it almost has a vibe like one of the James Blish book covers. Mm-hmm. Sure. I can you see know, that. back in the day. So it's it feels sort of familiar and new at the same time, which I mm-hmm. think is what they were going for. And it's a very sort of ponderous vibe. It's a little on the nose if you want to talk about the final <laughs> frontier and wagon train yeah. to the stars. Um, but and Pike's it, horse, come on. Yeah. Right. I mean, at least it fits with the character. He's from Mojave. The Enterprise looks great. So, you know, I think it's unusual and I think that's good because there's so many kind of generic posters out there that mm-hmm. I like it. And it's just a poster. So, yeah. <laughs> The frustrating thing is that there's this clip that we haven't seen. And so we did find someone who described it. (laughs) That was the closest we could get. Um, And it's about uh, Uhura attending a dinner party that Pike has. (laughs) But but we can't see it yet. So as soon as we can, of course, we'll put it on the site. Yeah, that this is they, they did this. Actually, it's so frustrating because I don't know if you guys remember, but they essentially did this at the TCAs in 2019 with Picard. And it was so mean, you know, they were just like, oh, there's this <laughs> clip of Admiral Picard, you know, checking in to like Starfleet HQ, which of course now we all know because we've all seen Picard in season one. But like at the time we were like, what? How could they do that? And, and not it was release leaked. it, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. It was leaked almost immediately. So, you know, at least that was good. Yeah. I still, I'm looking for this. Like, where's our leak from this one? Because well, if I recall, mean. last time weren't people basically tweeting the thing, the whole thing, like live tweeting it? So we essentially yeah. got the blow by blow. Well, kind of. I mean, that sort of happened in this case too. But yeah, that's basically what happened. And then yeah, Den of Geek just literally just like narrated it for us, basically like yeah. wrote it up, which is nice. Um, I really want to see it though. Yeah. <laughs> what I take away from both the panel and this clip. Because there was a virtual panel and it was done from the set. So Ethan Peck was in makeup. Um, so they are shooting season two, even though we're talking about season one. Um, is Celia Rose Gooding, it feels like she's, I mean, the big three, you know, are Ethan Peck, Anson Mountain, Rebecca Romaine. But 
it feels like Celia Rose Gooding and Uhura is the fourth character. Like she seems to rise above the rest of the ones they announced last year because she's in a new another new promotion. She was on the panel and they showed a clip of her and you know, it just it just feels like they're going to really elevate the character of Uhura on the show. They're giving her a backstory. And so I'm kind of excited about that. And it helps with the diversity of the show. Yeah, she's got some skills, too. She speaks 37 languages, which is nice. <laughs> a few other things they said about the show at the panel. You know, they said the usual thing that we're sort of used to, which is we try to stick very close to canon, but it's not always possible. <laughs> which is what we're sort of used to hearing. And that, yes, the the character that Christina Chong plays, La'an Noonien Singh, is unsurprisingly definitely related to Khan, but they're not telling us how. Annoying, but there it's, you go. Yeah, it's kind of insane. It's kind of an insane choice to make. You could make literally, mm-hmm. you could literally choose to not do that. <laughs> it, cost, it cost you zero dollars to not do that. <laughs> Yeah, there's some things they just can't seem to resist. Well, we'll see, because it's a very strange choice. It's not one of the things I would have said, oh, they can't, you know, yeah, I agree. They can't resist doing a lot of things, but I, would, I wouldn't have guessed they can't resist not doing cons relative. Like, I never would have come up with that. So maybe they have something interesting planned. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. The question is, are your children as genetically modified, or they're not modified, but do, does the modification flow through to the kids? And the grandkids and the great grandkids. I mean, it would be diluted, I guess, through the generations, depending on, you know, who's mating with whom. It's just interesting that the family had never changed their name. Right. Like if you if you if you were Kayla Hitler, you'd be like, exactly. Aren't a lot of Stalins around. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So in addition to the panel just on Strange New Worlds, there was a kind of executive panel where executives in Paramount Plus talked about everything and they announced various other shows. There wasn't anything specific to announce for Star Trek because they did that big thing a couple weeks ago where they announced all these seasons and, you know, dates for the next two years. But they did say that we should expect news on the Section 31 show and there's another show. In addition to that, that they're cooking up, but they couldn't talk about it, at least during the panel. But then they talked about it, like later that day. Was it the next day or later? Yeah, it was that day? the very same day. That's why. Yeah, I was very kind of same day. So, and we knew about this one. It's called Star Trek Starfleet Academy, but we, you know, now it's sort of we know it's it's teed up, sort of to be worked on, developed, figured out after section 31 and they actually have a name attached and they say it will be pitched to paramount plus shortly with the hope to get it going in the next year but it will follow section 31 it does sound like you know because we used to make fun like oh the section 31 show that's dead because it was announced three years ago yeah it's just like the next star trek movie (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) but you know in recent pods i've i've kind of talked about becoming a true believer in section 31 that i my theory is that the whole kerfuffle with discovery buying back the rights from netflix was actually about section 31 because netflix owned the rights to spinoffs yep and therefore you know and of course michelle yo's schedule so the show was never as dead as we thought it was we know they did struggle a bit to kind of put it together but 
I think certainly by last year, they had decided they were going to move forward and they needed those rights back. The same is actually true of the Starfleet Academy show. If we think it's going to be a involve Tilly and essentially be a spinoff of Discovery. Well, that's the big question. They haven't talked about what time period it's in, but it does seem like a sort of obvious choice to do it in the in Discovery's timeline with Tilly. I mean, they basically set it up. So (laughs) they should, I guess. One timeline is as good as another. It always helps to have a character that you know. Mm. It's debatable. I mean, what what would you like to, I mean, what do you think, Kayla, of the, just the concept of a an Academy show? I mean, that's been something that's been thrown around since pre-TNG. I mean, I'm okay with it. I've thought about, I, I used to think it was a really excellent idea. And as the years went on and I saw more and more sort of failed attempts or, or learned about failed sort of ideas about an Academy thing, I was always like a little bit eh on it. I don't know. Like, it depends to who's the audience. Is this like a teen is this like a CW show? You know what I mean? Wasn't I, wasn't there a time that they were worried that it was sort of heading a bit in that direction and tried to we pull were. it back? Yeah, in 2018 when it was... See, that's the whole thing I was just about to say is this is a totally different pitch at this point. Um, it was with the, the person attached to it now is a totally different name than the name we heard in 2018. And note that they're saying that they're repitching this idea to Paramount Plus. Like, so it's not what we originally heard. So I think it's changed probably quite a bit, you know, whatever. The original idea or pitch was from the people who put the OC together. I think it was much more a CW, not literally, but kind of that vibe. Yeah. Teen drama. Right. The guy they have now has a you know he put together the show on amazon ran for three seasons it's kind of a a greedy psychological thriller about an fbi agent so it he's not a teen drama guy so i don't think that's where they're headed anymore right well i mean i guess like the idea of starfleet academy isn't something i give a huge thumbs up or thumbs down to off the bat because it's really about the stories you tell and that's just the setting that's like saying we're going to do a show that takes place on Mars. Great, but then that doesn't tell you anything about like the soul of the show. Right? So, I don't know. It's one of these wait and see things. The section 31, I don't know. It's I have such a weird taste in my mouth from all of that. Same. I, I'm not necessarily looking forward to that given what I assume it would become, but Again, I give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll wait and see what they can do with it and like hear what it's actually going to be about rather than just this is the setting, you know, go from there. Yeah, I mean, the thing that worries me about Section 31 that I don't want is look how cool it is to be a badass. Like, I'm not interested in that. But I did feel that they tried to do something interesting with Giorgio by the end of her time on Discovery. Uh, They more talked about having done it than did it in terms of like her changes in her, but I feel like it could go either way. I think for me, like the, if they want to have a show that's look how cool it is to be a badass, they shouldn't call it section 31 because, you know, section 31 as it was originally pitched was cool because it's this secret thing. So off the grid that no one knows about it. They don't really exist. Like that was part of its intrigue and it's become um, like, you know, SEAL Team Six, 
Star Trek, yep. you know, Starfleet SEAL Team 6. And that's a different thing. And if they want to do that, it's not for me, but that's fine. Not everything has to be for me. But then call it Star Trek SEAL Team 6. So call it Section 31. Because to me, it's just a support. It, just, you know, Star Trek fans, we got to... We got to nitpick all the stuff that how it fits into canon. So for me, it strays too far away from what the original idea of Section 31 is that I'm like, why are you even attaching that name to it at this point? Like, I have trouble getting past that. That's definitely true of how Section 31 was treated in Season 2 of Discovery. My hope is that that kind of final scene in the season finale where they basically, you know, rewrote history. Um, I think, <laughs> wink, wink, nod, I, nod. I think what happens after that is Section Thirty One goes underground, as it okay. were, and be- becomes the covert agency. I'm hoping we get a gritty spy espionage homeland kind of show sure. out of this. You know, that gets into the politics of the Federation, and you know, and others like the Klingons, etc. And that's something I could get into, actually, because I like politics and I like shows like spy shows and Homeland stuff. Kind of. So, but yeah, we'll wait and see. And as for the Academy show, I don't know, you know, the, the, most of the characters will be like 18, you know, 20 year olds. So that kind of tells you the kind of audience they'll be going for. But I love Prodigy. So, you know, maybe I'll love it, too. Yeah. Hey, good point. Yep. So we also, despite having gotten a lot of news about Picard a week ago, we got some more stuff. There's uh, a new promo came out, um, which had some a little bit of new footage in it. Then the new promo went away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoops. So, but we still, we, you know, so let's just say it's still out there somewhere if you look hard. <laughs> it is. It's curious why it showed up and then disappeared. It was a social media thing. I think it was... 60 seconds, 30 seconds, I forget. But I think it was a left-hand, right-hand thing where, you know, the publicity people did something they thought was cool. And then some people on the other side are like, we don't like it. And they removed it. Mm. Um. <laughs> Good sound. Um. <laughs> I think that's Marge how we all about that. Sound of disapproval. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple things in there I found interesting um so it kind of doesn't matter if you can see it or not uh, in our last analysis there's these kind of weird white-eyed guys that i know matt and i were obsessing about like who's this weird guy following picard in yeah the it's like this dude stalking picard really yeah. people keep yeah. putting up pictures of it on social and circling him and being like what is going on <laughs> now, now i think we got this wrong matt he isn't actually the white eyed guy isn't from 2024 it's no. actually from the alternate 2400, and it is a an android. Yeah, you know, a it's got to be. Yeah. Um, because we see another one of these guys, like, trimming hedges or something. It might even be prime <laughs> timeline. So, so there's that mystery. The weirdest thing is, and I've noticed this in a couple other trailers, but this one really had a moment where Picard and Laris were, like, coming oh, at each other. This is weird, yeah. And I don't know if they're just trying to, you know, make it look this way in the trailers, but... I think, and this may be why we don't have Jabon in this season. Are they going to kiss? I Yeah, I think there's a thing they're, going on. Yeah, yeah. There's a screenshot of from that promo where they're about, looks like they're about two seconds away from just like angry making out. You they know, even have like, their heads like... tilted like in movies right before you go in for the kiss. Yes, they do. Oh, yeah. Now, either that's a big fake out 
you know, it's just like a split or, second. Or it's close talking like they do in so many Star Trek shows where everybody's face is right next to everybody else's <laughs> face while they're talking. Like uh, Voyager does to... that all the time. Well, Voyager does that because they had to frame for four by three. We don't Fair. need to do that anymore. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> They That's had to frame point. for four by three, and they had the tape on the monitor a little bit too far in, so they were actually framing for even more square. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> they're like, you guys got to stand really close. This is odd. Yeah, you'd be like, that's yeah. really intensely close. Yeah. yeah, well, they are close in that shot. So <laughs> it's very <laughs> awkward. You, yeah. How do you feel about those two hooking up? No, no. <laughs> First of all, there's a power dynamic there. She yeah, I was going to say it's it's exploitive. Yeah, yeah. like it's yeah. It's weird. So the, I hope they're trying to do a fake out, but um, maybe Patrick Stewart, cause, you know, remember when he wanted, you know, whatever season he's like, I want season Picard 10. to hook up. And yeah, they did the two. episode on Risa, you know, yeah. and he, yeah. and he hooked, maybe he's still feeling that way. No, he's, like, he's like, I want to ride an ATV through the desert. And then they made Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> he is an executive producer on the show. If he says, I want Picard to get some, he's going to get some. But with Larry, but, but bring Bev Crusher in. Come on. Yeah. Or a new yeah. person. No. Uh, yeah. How about this new person? <laughs> no, only Beverly. Hey, I I'm just, hashtag Team Beverly all yeah, the way. Team Beverly. <laughs> we got some more pictures this week from uh, season two of Picard. Maybe the most interesting thing is uh, because of the way they send us the pictures, you could tell which episode they come from. <laughs> and so it's now clear that they jump to the new universe and Q shows up in episode one. So they're just not going to mess around for long. And it looks like they steal the board queen in episode two. So they may be in LA by the end of episode two in, in they may do all of that. All the stuff you see in the trailers may all just be from the first two episodes. Basically. Yeah. It looks like they're doing it mighty quick. Well, that's good. I wouldn't want to be waiting around for it all for too long. I mean, we know what's going to happen, so may as well Agreed. actually yeah. start. Yeah. There are some more shots getting back to the trailer, which I'm backtracking. I mean, Seven is up to some stuff, though, in the prime timeline and even in the all timeline. She's brutal. There's a scene where she vaporizes a guy with the phaser, not just, you know, just completely gone. And another shot of her you're tackling a guy so you talk you know if, if you're looking for a badass they definitely are turning seven into like a major badass for season two seal team seven <laughs> <laughs> well she was you know pretty much a badass already in yeah. season one we got a little taste of something new from star trek discovery which finally returns next week um so they had a little tv spot that had just a few tiny things that we hadn't seen before like a sea monster yeah the sea monster just makes me think of the sea monster that they encounter in uh, the animated series but (laughs) (laughs) the one note is we see a federation shuttle approaching the sea monster it doesn't look like a discovery shuttle so it could be tilly because it was the same kind of shuttle she had when she did her little adventure with the cadets Mm. because we know tilly's coming back at least for one episode um, so maybe it's Tilly versus the sea monster. Who knows? <laughs> and it'll be in stop motion animation from Ray yeah. Harryhausen. I'd watch that. <laughs> so it's funny, Kayla, that you mentioned the uh, never ending story of the next Star Trek movie, because we got <laughs> yet, yet another chapter in that never ending story. Another carrot dangling in front of us. <laughs> Indeed. So Simon Pegg is 
in a new animated movie on Disney Plus, Ice Age movie. He's doing the rounds of interviews and people ask him about Star Trek. Speaking to Collider, he said he's met with Matt Shackman, who is the director J.J. Abrams has picked. And he said, you know, that they're just waiting. Now, I gathered two things out of this. One is, it sounds like the 2023 Shackman Abrams movie for holiday 2023 involves the Kelvin crew in some level. Cause he talks about how he, you know, he and the other actors want to do it again. So he's not, well, he talking- also says he texted JJ Abrams to say, tell me what's happening. And JJ said, we're waiting for news. Yeah. So I don't think like, that's what are you talking about? Well, yeah, I don't think I, that's indicative <laughs> of the Kelvin crew at all. I think that's, we're waiting to news to see whether it goes forward or not. Right. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm saying that's, but I'm saying it's not dead. Like to him, it's not dead. Is sort of my point. Right. But I think a lot of people have thought it might be over for the Kelvin crew. I think it's not. My guess is that Paramount does want to do a movie. They do want to do it in 2023. But they may be fielding other pitches besides this Shackman JJ pitch that could slot into that 2023 slot. But weren't they already doing that? Like there's Kalinda Vasquez's pitch, mm-hmm. right? Yes, exactly. And, so. and, there are likely others. Um, they better pick one, though. 2023 is mighty soon. <laughs> Next yeah. year. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's not going to be a 2023 movie if they don't even have... It's not even a go yet? They can't, Can they film a movie that quickly? <laughs> oh, yeah, certainly. They, they would need to start pre-production by this summer. Um, and if they start cameras rolling by the end of this year, they could easily get it out. But yeah, that's, they've done that before. It's not a big deal. Um, but they need to make decisions fairly soon. Yeah. Like now. One thing that is in place, this is inside baseball, but as you guys know, I like to do that with the movies is, um, a major, um, partner of Paramount's is Skydance. Uh, you may have seen their logos on some of their movies and they've been confirmed to be still working with Paramount on the upcoming Mission Impossible movies and the upcoming Star Trek movies, which means they've secured financing for it. And that's important, obviously. But then Paramount moved to Mission Impossible movies later in their schedule. And when big movies move on their schedule, sometimes it kind of has a ripple effect. And you could, you know, maybe the movie might move again for pandemic reasons. I guess the summary is the 2023 movie still exists. It's out there and it could be the Kelvin, but you know, don't bet the farm on it. Right. But it's not ruled out. Like I, for a long time, I just thought it's, there's no way it's not going to happen at all with the Kelvin crew. And now I think, well, now there's a tiny possibility. <laughs> yeah. It's just something. I think it's time for us to talk about a moral star part two. Woohoo. Which, by the way, Matt was the one who pointed out that a moral star is an anagram for Tars Lamora. What? Yes. And I did not, <laughs> I just happened Ooh. to be the messenger. I did not, I, like, I saw that around on the interwebs. I didn't come up with that. But when I saw that, I was like, no way, that's totally true. That's rad. Also, it makes sense because, like, a moral star is a little bit of a random title, I have mm-hmm. to say. It so is. I, I like, kept forgetting it. Like, I literally yeah. would be like, what's it called again? What's it called again? Yeah. But now I remember. But when you realize it's, like, this clever little shifting around, like, kind of, it's better. You know? Like, I like it better because of it. So what did you guys, let's do top-level stuff. What did you think of the episode? I loved it. I've really been liking Prodigy. The first half 
of the of the season I thought was very strong and steady and the second half of the season I would say was just ramping up and up and getting better and better as things went and they primed it to the point where I was ready for the finale and was able to just enjoy the heck out of the story because they had led me on this journey to get there that I had really been enjoying more and more and more um, each time. And it's interesting too, of how much they can cram in there and how, um, how concisely they can tell some kind of complex stories in less than 30 minutes an episode. They go by like so quickly. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, been, I've been super impressed. Other I'm shows wowed. take note. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm shocked by how much they're able to pack in without it feeling rushed. Mm-hmm. Without it feeling rushed, exactly. It's a only of- at the end when it ends, and you're like, "Oh, oh!" Like, <laughs> yeah, because you're surprised episode. it's over. Yeah, because it's so quick. There, yeah. there were a couple things I still have questions about that I was, I was left at the end of the episode. I was left mostly feeling happy, positive. I mean, they went back for vacation, so that's basically all that matters. <laughs> right. That was taken care of. I could breathe the I sigh mean, of relief that I've been holding since that first episode. Yeah. You knew they had to. I know, but they were still <laughs> going to drag it out the whole season and make us wait. Um, so they did that. They redeemed themselves. Um, there were a couple of things at the end I did have questions about that I'm sure we'll get into as we go through the episode. One of the things I really liked about it was the pacing because I thought that they did a really nice job of like, everything's good. Everything's terrible. Wait, no, it's going to be okay. No, it's not. Like I really <laughs> thought that the back and forth, it reminded me, you know, when they did that, when Janeway was figuring out like where everybody was in the time travel, when they were all in different Mm, um yeah. speeds of time and you saw that diagram it reminded me of that because i was like it just kept you kept it kept shifting which i thought was again amazing to do in such a short period of time it keeps that momentum yeah yeah especially the first half of the episode was really fast paced there was a lot more action than any other episode of the season um but yet they were still able to make that work it slowed down quite a bit at the end obviously there was almost like a, it kind of ended early and then had that, like the last few minutes were almost a coda to the episode. And An then epilogue. there was, yeah. And then we had the kind of bonus scene um, as well. So no, I mean, in generally, I, I still think it was a fantastic season finale. I still like to think of it both parts as one. I still wish they showed them together like they did the series uh, premiere. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that you feel that way. Like I'm kind of intrigued by that because one, I don't feel that way. Like I felt that they were quite different tonally. And then I also saw a funny post from, I think it was from Aaron Walkie, the showrunner saying that um, he wanted kids to feel like we did when we watched Best of Both Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> but we had to wait a whole summer. Um, yeah. <laughs> But I, to me, it worked to separate them. So I'm curious as to what, because you feel very strongly about that. You've said it a bunch of times. I, I think little things like um, the whole thing about the corrupt Jane Wayne, was it all part of a trick? I think that works better if you, if it just flows. If you've got a week to think about it, it's a lot easier to kind of figure out like, oh, obviously Janeway's not corrupted. Um, and then even if you didn't figure it out on your own, if you're on social media, I think one of the writers essentially admitted, yeah, you know, we've got, you know, don't worry about that, you know? So you end up almost spoiling elements of it. So I, I don't know. I mean, I liked it. I think it's fantastic. I think it's, you know, I think this has been the strongest season since 1966, but wow. uh, I, oh, I, first season. Yeah. I agree. I agree. 
Not strongest first season. Yeah, sorry, not strongest season. Dang, I knew what you meant. You you meant first season. Yeah, I meant meant first season. Even that—that's a big. uh, You'll have to listen to our podcast about how I think that season one of TNG is better than it's given credit for. But that's another discussion. Well, it's better than it's given credit for. Still doesn't mean it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need to reignite that. But just you know. Yeah, that's a, that's stir whole another yeah, stir the pot. Yeah. Well, I really quickly will say that I I could kind of go either way on the splitting up thing, but in this case, I think I agree with Tony that I would have liked to have it both at once. Because, but my only reason for that is that I felt that the end of part one was extremely abrupt. It was, and there wasn't yeah. a hanging thing like at the end of Best of Both Worlds. It's this like we've it it's almost the point where you're worried that the writers have written themselves into a corner. Like they've set up all the rising action has finally come to a head. And it's this now we're, we're really in the thick of it. Like it's at the critical moment where you, where you, they're teasing you with, you want more from yeah. this moment. Well, and that's they literally like, leave it at fire. They, they, so. they exactly. Yeah. And then they leave it on. <laughs> yeah. The ominous yeah. horns and cut to black and you're just like yeah. no i have to know what happens and this was just like in the middle of a random scene it just like cut and it was like that's the end wait till next week so it didn't yeah, it didn't feel true. to me like yeah. the best of both worlds but it doesn't even say wait till next week it it, it, does, right. yeah. it, it did feel like and i know the first time i watched it i think maybe this is because it's a screener and there's yeah. something missing because it just felt like it just ended uh-huh. And they could have used music or something or you throw the in way- the ominous horns. They never fail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Throw in ominous horns. There is yeah. an art to making a cliffhanger feel like a cliffhanger. You know, the, you know, who shot Jr. You know, the, there, <laughs> this is, you know, this has been done before. And I, that definitely, even though I liked that, I think that was just a little abrupt. Well, okay. you know, it's funny though, is this one ten like this second part, this really is far more like, a season like cliffhanger because we are going to have to wait like six months for the next like right. installment and they do leave it on a mystery right mm, that we can a lot to. of a lot of things are open a lot of <laughs> yeah right. a lot of a lot but of but i mean the, the biggest yeah. one, there were two cliffhangers was... in a sense yeah yeah that's true right. they're basically two yeah one of the things i thought was really smartly done was that now we the audience know something that the characters don't know that's yep. huge which is the danger that the protostar poses to Starfleet. Well, it wasn't and clear to me whether Gwen forgot that. I think you're saying it it is clear that she, she did, did forget. She for, I thought I thought it was very clear that she forgot because Janeway says she has no memory of what happened. She says there's no yeah, no memory of the incident, but I wasn't clear like from which how far back does her memory go because the discussion with her father was like a different sequence when she learns all the stuff about her planet and all that was a different sequence than the like sort of final showdown with the father and zero. There were two different sequences. So in my mind, I, I was left. What, like, I'm like, I think they're trying to tell me she doesn't remember because that creates a ton of drama and she it's really interesting, right. but I don't, I think they could have been more explicit that like, I thought it was pretty clear because she's like babbling. We can't go while her mind is being. Yeah. It, there's a moment where um, I think she says we're two captain and Dow's us, you know, go to, Starfleet, which um, annoys me that he doesn't say go to the Federation, but that's a whole other issue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's learning. And, and um, then someone, he maybe says, you know, is there anything, Gwyn? And she goes, nope. 
everything's fine. Yeah, she makes a little sound or something, and he turns to her, and he's like, everything good? And she's like, it's fine. And then the other thing they did that was smart was that before she has that conversation with with the diviner, that she froze the Janeway program, because we know that Janeway's always listening to everything. <laughs> she's so right? sneaky that way. <laughs> she's very sneaky, and she's always listening. And this time, her program was frozen, which is the only way that she wouldn't have been listening. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah, yeah I hadn't thought of that. Part. By the way, is the thing on her head, have we seen that before? I'm wondering if it's a, a permanent feature now. Like, is Gwyn, you know, is it kind of like um, Detmer in Discovery where she's got this thing on her head for now? Oh, was she wearing it in the final scene as well? Yeah. Okay. Then, Wait, yeah. on the bridge? I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't remember I her having it on the bridge, but I could have missed it. But I thought it was some kind of maybe monitor thingy. I assume it's a monitor. It looks like one that they'd use in TNA. They always stick stuff on people's either your head or your chest. They got to stick something. <laughs> yep. I thought, uh, I, but I, I don't think this is true because the first time I, I was like, did they change her look? Like, is her hair whiter now? Like, did, was she somehow physically affected? But I don't think her she was. Her face was pale, I think. I think they made her look a little more dour because she was not feeling well, but. Yeah. <laughs> a little under the weather. Yeah. <laughs> she had her brains a little bit scrambled. Just a little bit. <laughs> stupid reflective badge <laughs> but i mean like that's another thing about talking about the cliffhanger you know could they should they have made us sit with that longer with her potentially because zero has to go through the whole process of learning from this and grieving and worrying about this mistake that she made um in the last like minute of the show when we learn that Ogwin can recover and it's fine. She just forgot everything. So, you know, w it might have been interesting to see if they had wanted to, they could have dragged that out longer and left Gwen in an uncertain state. Be like, we don't know if we can get her better, but we're sure she won't at very, like at best she won't have memories of this time or something and have like a, have zero go through a bit of a self redemption thing in the next season. Might've been something interesting to explore, but it was, mm -hmm. it was certainly, I think in the limited time they had with it, they did a good job. It's just, just, just a thought. Would it have been interesting to explore that? Yeah, I was actually surprised that they showed her recovered, and that was the thing, the one something that was left hanging for the next ten. And also with with zero, I thought like zero when zero like unleashed themselves, mm -hmm. they were so. I thought it was such a huge scene because zero was almost crying. I thought like so angry and emotional and frustrated with having been used to hurt people that the tone, we haven't heard that level of intensity, you know, zero is usually so chipper, like, Oh, then my arm got chopped off. That's yeah. Fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, hoot hoot. And then this time all of a sudden zero is like, I like very, yeah. very emotional and upset and angry and obviously has been storing this up for a long time. Like you've used me for horror, you know, yeah. Yeah. it's actually like, it's super intense, actually, like like rewatching it. You know, I just rewatched it before we did this. And like, it's really intense because, like you said, you realize that he's really pissed off for good reason, you know, upset and pissed and, you know, feels used. And then also, like, you know, watching the Diviner's face just like drain, right, of like awareness, like his brain is being scrambled. Like, that's pretty darn intense, actually. Yeah. Like, yep. you know. It, yeah. it was definitely a breakthrough for Zero because Zero, yeah. as I've been saying, is almost emotionally detached. I mean, 
there were times they said earlier in the season, roughly, oh, we're all going to die. Isn't that interesting? Um, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. now they seem, I think in the last few episodes, they've become more and more attached to the crew and, you know, more emotionally involved. And this was a bit of a breakthrough, even though it was kind of anger, but uh, also the way they cared about Gwyn. I did feel, you know, I think Kayla's right about the way they could have handled that a little bit better. I think maybe the voiceover, voiceover is always a crutch. I think it went on too long. I think some of it was great, but some of it, you know, maybe should have just been, we should have just been normal show instead of voiceover stuff. You mean the Janeway voiceover? Yeah, because it went on for a long time. It did, yeah. Yeah. And it was uh, very just a lot expository of dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Like, here's what happened with the Rev 12. Off yeah. they go. <laughs> That's another thing I want to talk about. Well, you know, we don't have rules on this podcast, so just go for it. What do you want to talk about? Okay. The thing I was most, well, I also don't want to like say only negative things because like I said, I love this whole se- series and the, the whole episode was fantastic. But the one thing I disliked was the what were they referring to them the unwanted yeah the 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 unwanted i didn't understand what was happening with them so now they're a crew on a ship going where with what where? purpose they're just like oh they're now a symbol of hope and they used to be the symbol of you know slavery and now they're free how wonderful but like wait wait a did you ask them if they wanted to be a crew on a ship b what are they doing? See, do they have a Janeway hologram? How are they going to learn how to fly the ship? Yeah. Like so many questions. That's what my biggest question was like, wait, you made me wait a whole season to save vacation and now you're just sending it off and we're just never going to see any of these people again? I don't know if we're never going to see them again. That's what they sort of acted like. It was just like, yeah, and they are going and doing who God knows what out in the cosmos. They're fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, are they? They left the kitty a badge, which could just be because they need it for translation. But they need also, it for the translator, yeah. But I, I think also in case they want to get in touch with them later, it it didn't make sense that suddenly all of them knew how to get in those little pods and control the ship. And but you know this is one of the things where the show cuts corners because it's you know for younger audiences, it's simplified at times and it's a shorter runtime. But I agree, it, it sort of doesn't make sense and. I think a big question for everyone who's on Tars Lamora, including the people on the USS Protostar, is how much do they know about their past, and are they at all interested in getting back to that past? Going home, yeah. Right. If they had said, "Oh, they're going to travel to these people's home worlds and like find, so they can all find their homes again." Okay, now they have a mission. All they need to do is figure out how to like point the ship at the next planet and then drop people off or whatever. And then along the way, they some of them become a crew. Sure. I and, imagine it's a mix of that. But, um, yeah, they could have. I guess they could have said that they're doing a voiceover anyway. Janeway could have thrown that sentence in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In my, like in my head, canon, they're taking yeah. everybody home. But <laughs> is, is the is the kitty now the captain? Even I know, right? Like so many girl? questions. So many. Yeah. The, I think one thing that would have served them better for your point, Tony, because like with with the Protostar and its crew. I've suspended disbelief that they can learn how to fly it. They can learn how to do the stuff. The Janeway hologram, fine. This is an exceptional situation. But they're expecting us to to, to accept that's going to happen twice. And these people presumably don't have a Janeway hologram. If they had earlier shown that, 
um, they had to maybe work on the ship to maintain it. Like some of them were assigned to maintaining the the gravity generator or the the force field or something. That would imply that because of their servitude, they learned how to operate the ship. And so now they're equipped, you know, oops, our captors accidentally equipped us with the tools we need to actually fly the ship now that we have it. Mm-hmm. They could have put that little bit in when they were showing us Tars Lamora at the very beginning of the this, this series. Just a just an idea of how to make yeah. because then that's one less leap of logic I have to make and one less problem I have with the big, you know, hanging ellipsis at the end of the story of that ship and those people. I suspect we'll return to them and maybe they will be having trouble running the ship, which may or may not actually be a time machine. That's what I was wondering. I was wondering, like, is that what the Diviner used to travel through time? Like, what is the deal with that ship? But I I think, you know, there was a poetry to they get to fly off on the Diviner ship and he gets stuck back on the, the asteroid drawing on the ground like Golem looking for his precious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that, I think that's really what they're going for. They didn't want to answer these other questions. It was more like what it felt like, which is, you know, uh, just being, I don't know, poetic justice as it were. Yeah. So last week I was talking about how they've been really dragging out the, the truth, the diviner's truth. And oh, they yeah. finally gave it to us. Finally. Uh, finally. Well, Gave it to us asterisks, like sort of, you know, it's not fully. We don't know the whole story. Right. We know one side, one very specific side of the story. Yeah. I thought it was a very interesting concept, though, that first contact to a planet that thought that they were the only people around, which is what he says, would cause civil unrest. Like I've always, in my little fantasies of aliens coming to Earth, I always think, well, that would unite the Earth because we'd realize, oh, we shouldn't be fighting against each other because we are one thing because the world is so much bigger than we think it is. And then in this case, in this version of it, first contact divides them and creates a civil war. Yeah, that was really interesting because, like you said, it kind of goes against every typical... um, narrative of first contact that we that we've heard about you know usually goes well right or, there, well, there it doesn't always go well like they highlighted that in the i think wasn't the name of the episode first contact or yes yeah in the episode in in prodigy where they completely botch first contact so they've set for the people watching this who are first time star trek watchers they've set the idea in their mind of how important first contact is and how um how dangerous it is yeah i guess i mean the professionals usually do it right though is what we've learned but it just goes to show you how how it could so easily go wrong oh yeah we saw this on on tng there was the episode where they show up and it you basically it it caused friction and politics it's also called first contact yeah i was like the episode i thought that happened a lot in tng (laughs) no yeah not really but there's one it happens a few times it does happen a few times (laughs) <laughs> yeah that was the one yes, so with Riker, right i mean the, the way to that do it with an alien <laughs> we don't know the full story here it sounds like starfleet showed up and then you know but where was starfleet 50 years after when the civil war destroyed the planet like why didn't the federation right. help, help out to prevent that so that there's more to the story for sure the thing that's kind of has my head in a pretzel, but I don't think we're supposed to understand this is figure out the timeline. 
Yeah. Because, you know, this happens in the future of Prodigy, but the Diviner was looking for the Protostar in the past before it was ever launched um, where he, and that's when he infected it. So it feels like he goes back in time before Prodigy, like many decades, perhaps finds the Protostar infects the Protostar, then somehow loses the Protostar then goes and then looks for it again. And then they find it again. Does that, is that how it, I don't, I'm That's not sure. what I got. But That's I every kind of, time I try to like, map it out, yeah. I always feel like I'm missing a piece. Hmm. This is one of the things I wanted to ask my nephew, David, who's only nine years old, if he has it all worked out. He seemed to think he's got it. So he wasn't confused <laughs> at all by this. So let's hear what he had to say. <laughs> I think he's uh, maybe escaped. But, and he might, um, uh, and I think maybe the resistance in fifty years gets with uh, um 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 maybe the diviner got in some hot water with Starfleet uh-huh. and maybe they got mad so they destroyed his planet uh-huh. and that's why it was destroyed. <laughs> I like that he thinks that they got mad that Starfleet got mad and destroyed the diviner's planet. Yikes. Yeah. I know, right? That's a big yikes. It's like, oh, well, I hope you're wrong. Like, he, um, I was like, oh, I'm right there with it. Oh, wait, no, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he also, I think, uses, he talks about the resistance because I guess he's getting a little Star Wars, Star Trek stuff mixed up, maybe. That is true, but he actually has admitted to me um, that he does get. Star Trek and Star Wars confused and the resist he because in Star Wars it's always he was introduced to the J.J. Abrams movie I think was the first Star Wars thing he ever saw so to in his mind the resistance are the good guys so so he does get Starfleet and the resistance confused sometimes at least he knows they're the good guys <laughs> exactly Except for apparently they just got mad at someone and destroyed his whole planet, so... Right. (laughs) They got mad. (laughs) Starfleet's always getting mad and destroying people's planets. (laughs) Yeah, that's their MO. But if you guys remember, a few weeks ago, I interviewed Aaron Watke, who's a co-executive producer, and I said, are you concerned at all about, you know, getting into these kind of the weeds of time travel, which can get very confusing? And and he's kind of right that young audiences aren't going to maybe it's just people like us who are try to work it all out. He's, you know, he pointed, you know, to, um, you know, the Avengers end game. And he said, you know, that's got some weird time travel stuff. And, you know, that movie made over a billion dollars. So people, you know, <laughs> people are fine with weird time travel stuff and maybe it doesn't always make sense. And, you know, I think that eventually this will make sense. Yeah. I, I think, I think, think it will be all mapped out but i think it's easy to do that janeway thing of saying ah time travel just gives you a headache um so if you want (laughs) to just kind of give up and focus on the emotional beats of the story you can but yeah i do definitely i feel like they have this very well mapped out and it will eventually be revealed well and they they have some freedom there because there's a different like there are different rules for time travel depending on who you ask and and those rules have evolved over time through Hollywood as well so there's you know the back to the future rules and there's um you know like multi-universe rules and so there's like Star Trek you know 2009 stuff and all these different rules so there and there is a little play even within Star Trek about how 
well, there's a lot of play within Star Trek about how time travel works and, you know, can we just slingshot around the sun and then always slingshot around back, but we can only do that once. And, you know, so there's, I think there's enough play that in, in terms of those technical details, we as an audience, I think are typically pretty happy to just be like, all right, let's go with it. Suspend disbelief. It's not a problem. I, I love time travel stuff and I love working it out. And so my first run through on this episode, I felt like I missed something because I was trying to piece it together. And then I was okay with it when I realized like, okay, I'm not supposed to understand now. Not yet. I not agree. Yet. Yeah. yeah. Not yet. Um, and then it's fine. Then it's kind of fun to, to try to figure it out. One of the things I very much liked about this two-part finale was we finally got a lot of stuff with the Diviner, a lot of stuff with John Noble. He... Yes, he's still slightly mustache twirly, but he's he's become three dimensional. He is a fully you're you're understanding mm -hmm. his motivations. He's such a good actor too. Oh, John Noble was so good in this episode. He's so good. He's a like delight. I, I said this already, but I've been watching a Fringe for the first time, and oh, so now yay. I just love him. I love him now. I love him in Fringe. Oh, he's so good. So we can only assume he's gonna be you know, decrazied at some point, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, he's got to. He's yeah. got to. Yeah. So. Yeah, and they can't be done with Dreadnought, right? No. Well, I feel like they can make new Dreadnoughts. It seems like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they made one on the Protostar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the question is, who is the they? Because if we go back to that. Um, episode when was a flashback episode uh, when Gwyn was created there was some talk about some other group I think there's and 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 in this episode if you listen closely he doesn't say I went back in time he said I was sent back in time so there you know there is a group of people from Solom and I think there might be other time travelers or I think someone may come and save him and, and yep. make it, you know, make it. Oh, better. yeah, could be. Or like Dreadnought will reassemble and save him or some kind of, you know. I just like... keep thinking of like, you know, uh, especially the first Terminator, right? Kyle Reese is sent back to save Sarah Connor kind of thing. So he was <laughs> sent back in time. Well, you know, and then with Dreadnought, it just, it just, you know, you can't help but think about cyborgs. It makes more cyborgs. sense with Dreadnought than Kyle Reese, but let's not get into that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have some issues with that, as great as that movie is. His whole plan is essentially, he, he watched The Terminator, and they're like, yep, that's a good idea. And then they watched Independence Day, and they're like, upload a virus. <laughs> yep, yep, we're going to do that, too. Uh, you know, so. Hey, sometimes hey. putting some things in a blender works, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's best hits, you know? Yeah. But you're getting back to this issue of, um, you know, do they have it all worked out? It's so clear that these guys, everything is meticulous and, and yes. all of these elements. So that's why I'm confident that this will work out at the end. I mean, mm -hmm. there's little, there's little moments like early in the episode, um, zero talks about how they are non-corporal because they're, they're trying to set up the moment later in the episode. So even though it's a fun laugh line, it has a purpose and it just shows how, finely tuned these scripts are oh yeah and they mention a lot they seed a lot of the stuff throughout the season so this wasn't the first time we learned about that exactly right or like the the thing that gwyn has on her arm that, she, oh, that yeah. was a gift from her father and then he's like perhaps you've forgotten that it was a gift and he's yeah. able to control it like it all that him. stuff yeah. was planted so early on 
as if they wrote the whole season backwards. Oh, as if. Interesting. What an interesting hmm. uh, strategy. Hmm. <laughs> anyway. To actually anyway. have the end all worked out. And to, yeah, I get that. <laughs> well, it's usually the middle that they people seem to fail. So, so far they're doing well with the middle too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been really strong throughout. Um, you know, I was just thinking two possibilities about what happened what really happened? Because, like as you mentioned, Lori, we have one very side of one very specific, one very specific side of the story to what happened um, on this planet, on you know, Gwen in the Diviner's home planet. Um, and so, I think there's two possibilities: either, but I think none of them are what we've seen is not a hundred percent true without omission. So, I think either the Diviner was telling the complete truth from his point of view, in which case I really have to wonder if, if the Federation, what role did the Federation actually play in their eventual civil war and demise? Cause it sounds like if someone showing up can launch you into a civil war that destroys your planet, y'all had problems to begin yes, with. They were highly unstable. Anyway, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So really how, how much of it is the Federation's fault and how much of it are, was this just, just happened to be the straw, the tipping point. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's kind of the way, you know, that's almost the way he paints it. It's like, Oh, this kind of blew our minds that we weren't alone. And so, yeah, it's the whole like. But would they have just that just, alone did it? Would they have destroyed themselves anyway over some other yeah. stupid thing? That's what yeah, I'm thinking. exactly. Like that alone was just a catalyst for themselves, their own self destruction. Like, instead, now he's bitter and somehow blaming you know Starfleet and the Federation for trying to make first contact in good faith. Then that's you know the, un- you know unexpected outcome. Another kind of thing that I just thought of was that he could be not quite telling the truth insofar as. He's alive. Federation comes. They make first contact. There's a big divide. He's on clearly on the side of the sort of traditionalists. We don't need Starfleet's help side. He and his people believe that within 50 years or whatever, his planet will destroy itself. And so to prevent that, he goes back in time. Did the destruction Mm. of the planet actually did he actually see it happen or did he just strongly believe that that's the way that his planet was heading and he tried to stop it before that could happen that's a good question makes him like a a true believer sort of we have to assume because the way he talks about starfleet and you know how disgusting they are and horrible they're he's definitely not telling the truth about things so yeah there's definitely more to his story and it is definitely not a hundred percent the way he's presenting it. I did like how Gwyn was full of the spirit of Star Trek when she learns the truth and she's like, we need to talk to them. We need to communicate. We need diplomacy. And mm-hmm. she's really, you know, she's become a, a convert because it is, you know, he is her dad and those are her people, but she doesn't buy into his. Yeah. We need, this is the only way. We can't replace uh, one tragedy with another, something to that effect. It was Yeah, that's what she said. Very yeah. um uh very adult and evolved sensibility. Well, she's come a long way because she was sort of enabling him in keeping all these prisoners and yeah. sort of pretending to herself, even though she kinda knew it wasn't okay, she told herself it was okay and had to really come to a point where she finally accepted her role in it. And that what he was doing was bad. So she does have that as like a grounding point, which is, oh, he enslaved all these kids, basically. 
this was really, I think this episode was her story, even though everything's been a lot about Dal recently. He's, you know, fun in this episode. He does some good action stuff. I love when he jumps on the transporter platform and says, yeah. I'll tell you, that's very Kirk-like thing <laughs> I, to do. Very. Yeah, some good Kirk. There were some good <laughs> Kirk moments throughout this episode, and that was one of them for sure. But she had the emotional growth and certainly plot growth in this episode. So I think this is very much a Gwyn episode and a Diviner episode, I write. I would say Zero did as well, although as we said earlier, they didn't really have the chance to explore like a redemption arc that they may have. Um, but they still go through this um you know, this this mini arc of of you know, everything came to a head of them expressing their trauma over what had been done to them and then accidentally harming someone in the process and coming to terms with that and all this stuff. So there's a little bit of that too, but I agree it's not as uh, nearly as extensive. Do Does anyone else feel like maybe they had Rock and Jankum trade yes. roles yes. that f- from now on Jankum is going to be the head of security? Yeah, I totally got that. Yeah, I mean, they almost explicitly said that when Jankum says something to the effect of, okay, new plan. I'm going to hold the door and you right. go do all that stuff you just said. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. And I love, I love, love, love that they gave Rock all this time to herself to learn all this stuff. Like she used it to become like super smart and a really good engineer. Come on. Yeah, that's uh, great. She, by the way, has a little Kirk moment where she does that that pausing thing. She goes, let's hope this works <laughs> like, that's so kirk <laughs> i have had enough of you yes yeah. but i loved i love like when jankum says to her like you know well i'm trying to figure this out unless you've got a better idea and then i almost <laughs> wanted like the narrator ron howard from rest of development to go she, <laughs> she <does."> did yeah because <laughs> yeah. yeah, you knew you knew she would i was i was like uh yeah this is the new improved rock she yeah. totally has a better idea. yeah yeah, she yeah. Does. and she gets so excited when she has an idea or does yeah. something she's so happy well and i and i like that later i think it was just a little bit later right she kind of gives him crap about percussive maintenance you know yep. she's like so it's good it's nice there was that like- really was one of the nice little like you know, we talk about character development. Everybody got a little something, right? That was a nice mm-hmm. little moment that shows how much she's grown. And especially in a, in a crisis, like, Jankum is kind of, you know, he's, right, he's a teller, right? So he's like this kind of self-assured ass a little bit. <laughs> but at the same time, like, in a crisis, he's like, okay, whatever you just said sounds like even above my head, go do it, you know? And it's a great little moment to show that rock is more than you know a, a door blocker <laughs> and he did a good job when his job was the door like he did as yeah. much as he could like i was wondering yeah. how he'd do that because he's so little but he did a good job well he's well, he got has, you know some accessories he's got his yeah he's got the accessories thing. yeah yeah <laughs> which i assume we'll find out about i mean i'm actually interested in everybody's backstory one day so i hope we get into that yeah yeah there was a tiny moment before that scene when they find the engine room where rock says Murph found the engine room. And that sounds like a throwaway line of dialogue, but I'm wondering, does rock now understand Murph better? And how did Murph font quote, find the engine room? Like, 
is there more to I, there is more to Murph than oh there's yeah there definitely is but I'm wondering whether they're they're on a new level those two perhaps I missed that you I totally missed that she yeah said I didn't Murph. hear that either yeah. oh I had to rewind because I'm like did she just say that she's like oh. yeah Murph found the engine room I'm like okay how did he do well, that well I guess you remember way way early on they were like Murph likes to eat like starship pieces or whatever. So maybe he's, you know, he, he's into finding warp course, you know, like maybe he's into, he just kind of naturally seeks out. He's drawn to it. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. I also Who think, knows? you know, they spend a lot of time together. So, you know, I would say there are things I understand, not to compare, but there are things I understand <laughs> that my cat is trying to tell me. Yeah, I was going to say so far, <laughs> I, I can't, I, I don't think it's more than that, I would say. Right. Yeah. There is one moment I want to talk about, actually. I thought there was a beautiful moment early on that is not only an example of like the emotion that they bring to something and the humor that they bring to their scenes, but also again, the efficiency, because we were talking about how they do so much in a short time. But so they get those translators going and you have these two workers who've been working together for years oh, and have never great, been able yeah. to talk to each other. Yes. So a, so we cover the, the beautiful discovery moment of we can talk to each other. We discover that they've been there for a long time. They, they sort of embrace almost like Tom and Balana in day of honor, like, flo- yeah, <laughs> like floating, floating around. Yeah. But it was, it was like funny because their names were wacky and funny and emotional and yet covered so much ground in the shortest scene ever. And we also sort of get that they're kids because Dal's like, you got to get to the ship. And they're like, I've been wanting to talk to you for so long. Yeah. So <laughs> like, I just thought that was a, a beautiful, tiny little, like a microcosm of everything that Prodigy is so good at in one scene. Yeah. Well stated. 100% agreement. Can't say it any better. Leave it at that. One of those guys was voiced by D. Bradley Baker. So it shows how, you know, it's great to have ah. him on the team. Yeah. I mean, he can do like every one, every one and everything, basically, if you let him. <laughs> yeah. He's amazing. <laughs> Speaking of voice actors, we've been waiting for three of them and we got yeah. one of them. We finally got Jamila Jamil as Essencia the Trill. In Which, by the way, I could not tell that was Jamila Jamil because yeah. she barely spoke anyway. Yeah, and I was I like, are we, "Are we sure this is the right same? This is the true officer we've been waiting for." Like, are we sure? Like, yeah, I was listening too because I'm a huge fan of hers, and I was like, "Is that that's her?" Like, yeah. it's surprising. Wait, have we checked the end credits? Is that yeah, really no, it's her? it's it's her for okay. sure. Just checking, and she's the yeah. So after she's supposed we get, to be, yeah. after we get our first cliffhanger, and it was funny when I was watching with David. He like ran out of the room and I'm like, come back. <laughs> he was going to miss the extra scene. And we meet Asensia and uh, a bridge and they really dragged. I mean, you, you did everyone immediately know, oh, it's going to be Janeway or did, did, did you kind no, of fall because for it? I had, I had two thoughts. It was either the real Janeway or Chakotay because we don't know what happened to him either. That's true. That's true. So that, those are my two. Thoughts. Yeah, like, I didn't ex- like. I wasn't like, oh, here it's going to be Janeway. It's going to be Janeway. But when I saw that it was her, I wasn't like, what? I was like, oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh huh, okay. I was like, yeah, that figures. That tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, certainly when they zoomed in on the coffee cup before they showed yeah. her face, they showed. <laughs> oh yeah, the oh yeah. Cup. I, I love that coffee cup was very prominent. 
in a lot of the shots. <laughs> like they just kept making sure the coffee cup got there. I was just thinking that all the Chicote Janeway shippers were probably very excited hearing the line, I'm coming, Chicote. Like, <laughs> that made me so sad. Like so excited that she's gonna that they're that she's he's gonna not, rescue him and she's determined to rescue him. You know Yeah, she is. She's gonna be very sad that Chicote is not on board. Yeah, um, I'm worried about him. Yeah, where is he? We are in we're a hot all tub somewhere. Oh, <laughs> it is. I mean, this gets back to the the, the timey wimey weirdness because do we assume that the the protostar is the ship that makes first contact? And if so, then that's at a future date. But the protostar apparently went back in time. Wait, the protostar went back in time? Yeah, because we we've seen flashbacks where the diviner is obsessed with having a protostar as he's making his progeny. So 17 years prior. Right. Before. But why does that mean that the protostar went back in time? I thought it just. Because the protostar the isn't 17 years old. It, it doesn't predate Voyager. Yeah. It obviously was launched. And I did confirm this with one of the writers, but it, it, it was obviously launched after uh, Voyager came back from the Delta Quadrant. Right. Right. Um, so, whereas that scene was years before it even left. So, and and we did, you know, when we see Chakotay for that like two seconds, he says anomaly. So that's some kind of time anomaly, possibly caused by the diviner. So this is the thing where your head starts hurting, right? When you yeah. try to figure this out. It's obviously, we're not supposed to be able to figure it out. And the more you think about it, the harder it well, gets. So to go back to the, to the Janeway we do see, where do we think that fits in? Okay, well, we definitely get a real star date in this episode. The rest of the season was was 2383 and the final episode is in early 2384 <laughs> okay okay um and just doing your math folks you know so voyager returned from the delta quadrant in 2378 nemesis is in 2379 uh lower decks is in 2380 or i think they're they're up to 81 at this point um so we're after all of that but not much after and we're slightly before all of the flashback scenes in Picard. All of those take place in 2385, the Romulan refugee crisis, the whole Mars thing. Hmm. So, so there's a lot of, you know, activity in this era. So that they're playing with, I, I, I think, I mean, this is all part of that, you know, the prime universe, but they're really close to a lot of other stuff happening. And Matt, you were thinking, I mean, the, the uniforms don't seem right on that ship. That's one yeah. thing that seems. Yeah. That was the thing that was interesting is because Janeway herself, I think looks about right for what you'd expect to see her a few, like a few years after nemesis. Cause that was the last time we saw her, uh, you know, as an admiral, a little, a little bit of gray in her hair, but not much, you know, she's just a little bit older, like that seems about right, but then I was, you know, looking at it, and it's weird because they're she's basically wearing, give or take, it's not quite exactly, but a sort of TNG like from ten plus years before Admiral's uniform, but then with the updated insignia that I, I needed, I actually should have looked again at it. That is either the stuff from twenty three ninety, which is too far ahead. Um, that we see in Picard, like present day Picard, like season one. So that's a little too far ahead. Or 
because they look so similar. It was hard to tell. Or it's the alt future insignia that we've seen in things like TNG Parallels, All Good Things, and of course, Voyager Endgame. So like, it's really weird because who the heck, I I can't tell you when this is, when this is from, you know what I mean? Like it's a mishmash of things. But it only makes sense because they discover, they notice the proto warp. So it kind of fits that as they proto warp to the Federation, apparently, yeah, they're being monitored by this ship, the which, Dauntless. Yeah, which we'll is get, another. That's a whole right. other thing. Yeah, yeah, that that like <laughs> blew my mind. I'm like, yeah, I was what? like, what? Yeah, because I, I looked back and. It's not an exact match for the Dauntless from pretty close though. Voyager, it looks a lot like it. It looks inside and outside. So they basically. So I mean, we we don't know this, but Starfleet. She you know, Janeway comes back to the Federation. She's like, by the way, when I was off in the Delta Quadrant, there was this fake ship. Um, you know, why don't we build one? <laughs> That's like, kind of what just, it seems like. Just yeah. so people know what we're talking about, it's the episode "Hope and Fear" with Ray Wise. Yes. <laughs> and he, he this alien shows up pre, uh, presenting a supposedly starfleet uh quantum slipstream powered starship you know prototype and it's not really right <laughs> i it's mean yes fake. it's quantum slipstream it's powered but it ain't really a starfleet ship right and the with the la- that ship was presumably destroyed by the borg or assimilated by the borg yes so right it's, yeah. it's, it's not that ship it, it has a different registry as well yeah because i thought oh, this is going to be the Voyager A. I totally thought that's where they were going. And when they zoom out and it's the Dauntless, I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a story there. This is all back half of season one. I'm not upset about it. I'm just kind of, but it was another head scratcher for sure. Whatever it is, it's an ugly looking ship. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing of like, why there must be a reason because I didn't like the Dauntless to begin with, but they decided to go with that style, so there's got to be a reason for it. Looks like a yeah. like a hot dog with a mushroom on the top of it. It may have been distorted by the angle they showed it, and because it was warping, it may have looked longer than it's supposed to, or I, I, who knows. I think we should call it the USS Shroom Dog. <laughs> <laughs> a we tasty all, treat. We also saw the other two characters that we know are coming, uh, the Tellarite Doctor, voiced by Jason Alexander, but he didn't say anything, and the Andorian First Officer Commander, mm-hmm. voiced by David Diggs, who also didn't say anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Leaving us hanging. Exactly. There's the cliffhanger you get. Yeah. I knew they were going to do that, too. As soon as like we hadn't seen anybody yet, I was like, oh, man, we're not even really going to see these people until the very last second of the first half of the season. And then we're not really going to see them until the second half, you know, the back half, which, of course, is just annoying that they announced them so early because they were nowhere to be seen. <laughs> but they were you know? always part of season one. See, back then, Tech, we didn't really... Um, actually... Um, actually, back then, we thought the first <laughs> 10 episodes was a season. We later learned... Well, they still can't make up their minds about that, by the way. Right, but in their mind, the first 20 episodes are a season, so yeah. it was it was okay to announce them. It was probably when they were probably starting to record their voices, now that I think about it. Yeah, probably. Huh? And uh, so they were in production on the second half of, quote, season one. 
but it did feel because it was just a few weeks after they announced Jimmy Simpson and uh, oh John, yeah John Noble John Noble yeah. yeah so we were kind of thinking it was all part of that that you know they're going to all play a part because mm-hmm. those guys were in episode one and um, you know so we're going to have to wait for that we got a little Chicotay a little Beltran tiniest tiny bit. yeah. <laughs> Um, or what a big deal it was when that got like quote unquote spoiled by us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, by him. It well, by him. Yeah, yeah, let's be real. Yeah. By him. I'm not. Yeah. I, I will take the credit, but not the not the blame. Exactly. Yeah. We didn't break an NDA. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. we just reported it. Exactly. Um, he just said right. it at a convention in front of thousands of people. Lots of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure Paramount or whatever. They're like, what? dude um but i'm sure uh, he got a sternly worded email he's the new frakes <laughs> yeah exactly nah. he doesn't care though i love it no yeah. what's funny about this scene was when i get i got david back to the couch he immediately knew it was janeway like bam and he goes it he screams out it's the real janeway Yay. um while we were watching the episode um and That's he started so cool. screaming screaming about how she's gonna shoot the diviner he, he's obsessed with the diviner getting shot with lasers um so <laughs> yeah that's the star wars time i like the way he thinks yeah um, he also kayla he always thought that murph was gonna envelop the ship and become a shield Ooh, and he also which actually is a good idea i mean he did actually, that, he kind of did he did it with the, with the protocol Yes, yeah. so I love that idea and also he recently told uh tony he thought the jetpacks should have been faster <laughs> yeah that's his nitpick he wants faster jetpacks i, yep. would, so I, I would i would disagree with that if they're meant to be used in zero g environment which they are, which they they're, are. Supposed and they, emergency. they're supposed to be like yeah. you know you, you just need a tiny little burst and you shouldn't actually even have to see a flame coming out of them but who knows future technology but the eva packs that the astronauts use on the iss when they're doing spacewalks um just put out little tiny little bursts of air and they can whip around on those things Cool. So let's hear what David had to say about real Janeway and what he thinks her plan is. What I love the most is how the real Janeway appeared in the, the last part. I really love that part because now they're going to join the resistance, I think. The re- you mean? The, I, I, I'm getting confused with soccer. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I meant um, a Starfleet. And uh, Janeway, the real Janeway, not the hologram, might even let them keep the ship so they can explore the galaxies, or she might give them another ship, but I don't know. Well, hopefully they keep, you know, the one that they got to to know so well. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so again... You know we're sitting we're sitting here talking about the dauntless and the uniforms and you know he's fine he doesn't care about any of that stuff he's loving it he's loving the real Janeway um, and these kind of Star Trek things are going over his head but not in a bad way but it's a so. it's a gateway drug to him becoming the kind of person who cares about what the uniforms look like. We'll <laughs> that's we'll right it is the fact that he instantly knew the real janeway like he didn't watch he hasn't watched voyager come on yeah come you on. know like that's great like they're really doing a great so again job. that then kudos to like the character designers you know for making it an obviously like mm-hmm. slightly older real you know like obviously real person 
you know? I mean, go, like that's a subtle thing in some ways. Go to any nine-year-old a year ago and ask them if they know who Janeway is. No. Who? Yeah. What way? Safeway? No. <laughs> so this is this is great. I'm so glad that it's yeah, it's, it's it so seems cool. to be really transcending um the audience ages as well cuz you know I know we enjoy it. A lot of my other adult friends really enjoy it. And it's wonderful to hear that the age group it's actually aimed at also enjoy it. Yeah. Does anyone else have anything to say about the episode? Thoughts about the future of Prodigy? Nope. Other than that's going to be quite a, quite a wait uh, <laughs> to see more. Yeah. Well, how long is the wait? Let's talk about that. Well, they don't have an exact thing, but basically we have to get all the live action stuff over with for 2022. Well, and then you got Lower Decks in the summer. Uh, I'm yeah. guessing October, November. But we don't know. That's not so bad. Yeah, but we we don't know. I don't know. It's February. The October sounds a pretty long way away to me. <laughs> yeah. But... yeah. I mean, the only, other, okay. the only other thing I'd say is I thought the production, just, I mean, I was just noticing just little subtle things in this, you know, just how when people are staring out the windows and the way the reflection, I mean, just this show is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I thought the music was amazing in this. It reminded me a lot of the series premiere where there was a lot of JJ or Jacino touches, but now more mixed in with the themes of the show. The shows, the music is becoming its own. Yeah, um, good point. It is. It's definitely noticeable. I love the music. I love the theme. Me too. Yeah, I think I love the theme, and I love the way they use music. Like I always notice it, and it's not something I notice in other shows that I watch. And that music is available, by the way, in your like Spotify or your Apple Music. So you could get Prodigy music and build a playlist. So look for it, for sure. Does anyone else think, I mean, sometimes I wonder if I'm reading too much into these things. But like little things like the scene where Gwyn and Dal are staring out the window and Zero comes in, I thought was basically an homage to the end of Empire Strikes Back. You know, when Luke and Leia are looking out the window at the fleet. Oh, or yeah, yeah. Am I, I being too that. nerdy? No, that's good. I could. <laughs> I don't see think that. you can be too nerdy. Uh, on also, knowing knowing this group of writers, they may have very much thought of that exact thing. Who knows? Right. You know what I mean? Or, or bit, you know, or it could have been. Sometimes it, that's a decision by the director and the artists, where it's not even in the script. But true, uh, um, right? So, because I've you know I've noticed a lot of things. Um, you know, the, the scene where they can't look at each other was, I thought was straight out of Raiders of the Lost Ark um, when they open the Ark and they can't look at it or they'll go mad yeah. or, or their faces will melt. So it's not just Star Trek stuff. I mean, these guys are borrowing from the best, which yep. is good. So I think it's time for us to uh, wrap things up before we go. We like to do our bits of the week. Um, since uh, we have extra guests this week, I will forego my bit. Uh, but I think Matt and Lori have bits. Yeah, Matt, what you got? Oh, mine's just a kind of a funny thing. And Kayla knows this one. Uh, we've talked about it, actually, I think, on the shuttle pod before. So when we see Pike and Horseback in that uh, poster, my first, you know, so people were like, oh, it's Tango. And, of course, like, we know better. Pike has two horses. <laughs> so my first Only thought was. If you're not a real fan, if you don't know. Yeah, you names. don't know. Okay. So was so is he on Tango or is it Mary Lou that he's riding? Because Pike actually does have two horses that we see two horses in the cage. That, but however, the funny part is right. Like Mary Lou was actually uh, cut from from the dialogue was cut, yeah. so we actually don't <laughs> technically know that's her name. Like as it's a in horse. the script, but it was never aired. That's right. 
And so it's only in the script, but yet Mary Lou does have a memory alpha article. So an entire she did appear on screen article about a horse <laughs> that does that was written out of a script for an unaired pilot from a science fiction show in the mid 1960s. So an entire it's, page. It's, it's awesome though. So yeah, to people who are like, "Oh, it's Tango," I say, "How do you know? How do you know it's not Mary Lou?" They're not. He real probably fans, loves both his horses. That huh? is a deep. Oh yeah, that is a deep cut. I do. You know, just the, the fact that he's on a horse in the poster. I think it's more than a metaphor. I think in the pilot, we're going to see him on Earth at home on one of these two horses. We can oh, see yeah. I hundred percent so agree. Too. I think yeah. th- it's yeah. not. It's not. You don't need to read. There's no depth there. It's literally a guy <laughs> on a horse. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. Yeah. The question is, does he take one of the horses with him on the oh ship? Oh my god! I hope that would be so Ew, weird. Like that he can't do that. I don't think the horse would like that. No. No. <laughs> they, they could build a little stable on the side of the um, you know, the shuttle bay. That seems no, cruel have, to yeah. Yeah. fresh air, nowhere yeah. to run around. I have enough issues with yeah. Porthos being on the Enterprise. Okay. Not a horse. Unless they decide to ditch cetacean ops for equestrian ops. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, horses do have a pretty good sense of direction. Uh, to, you know, stamp twice for the fourth planet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your bit of the week? Lori. Mine is from our friend Neil Shirley, who writes stuff for Trek movie. He's a He's a Trek movie guy. Um, but he has this newsletter and a couple of weeks ago he decided he found out they have video so he decided to try it and so he wrote an original song and plays it on the ukulele in fact it starts with trigger warning i sing and play ukulele <laughs> and it's all titles of next generation episodes in his in his lyrics so it's like will you remember me when the bow breaks to the nth degree <laughs> And he's oh, that's great. singing and he's great and it's funny and delightful. And I will put up a link and he has all the lyrics up there. But I recommend don't read the lyrics until you've li- just listened to him do the song first. And then you can go read the lyrics if you just want to see. If he works in 10101010101, I'll be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> that one would be really hard. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to give any spoilers. So I'm not going to say if he does. But there's, <laughs> <Okay>. you know. <laughs> But it's just really, I was having like a bad morning when I watched it and it just put a huge smile on my face. So I think it'll do that for everybody who watches it. So before we go, I just want to extend a thank you for our guests, Matt and Kayla, and also plug the shuttle pod. There's an episode that just went up a few days ago with a great topic of, yes, you know, the unpopular Star Trek opinions. And I think that's just you know, a very fun, different thing. So uh, I highly recommend listening to it. Yeah, Same. people have been having fun with it too. It Lots is. Lots of comments. It's yeah. the kind of episode that like you talk to while you're listening to it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. The goal. Sometimes, sometimes that's the best, really. Because yeah. you're like, no, that's crazy. You're like, yes, I totally agree. What do you, t-? you know, it's like. The best is when you're yelling, yeah. yelling at your radio or whatever it is you're using to listen yeah, to. Yeah, like, how could you forget How about could that? you think that? Or even agreeing, just going, yes, finally. Finally, someone you know. said yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lori, do you have an unpopular, since, you know, now we ha- now's our chance. What's, what's your unpopular <laughs> start? Oh, I have so many. <laughs> I have like Uh-oh. I have two big ones that people just think I'm crazy for thinking. Oh yeah, you do. We don't have one, to discuss them; just throw them out there. 
just quick. One, Chakotay and Seven, excellent couple. (laughs) Two, two, Dominion War Arc, Deep Space Nine, not, I preferred it before they got into all that. I did not think those were the strongest seasons at all. And in fact, I often forget what happened in those episodes. Dope. Yep. Yep. Unpopular. I'll go with Into Darkness is a good movie. Ooh. Except for one scene. And um, just one scene. And uh, the uh, fourth season of Enterprise is not how the show is not the best season. Agreed. How the show should. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's yeah. There are people who would agree with that. Yeah. It sounds like we'll have to have another one of those uh, and have you guys both on. Seriously, that would be. These are two things, definitely things to defend. I want to. I want to hear about them. You know. (laughs) Well. Um. Hopefully we can do that for sure. (laughs) So that's it for another episode. Episode 77 of All Access Star Trek. See you next week. Goodbye. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys.